Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. Well, God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. Welcome back to the Q Podcast. I'm Gabe Lyons, and today we're focusing in on the sixth practice. This is our seventh episode in a series where we're really trying to imagine what does it mean to be faithful in our time? What are the practices of the church that outlast our moment in history? What are the things we can recover from our past as we look forward to the future to say, this is what it means to be the church. This is what it means to show up and be a presence in the absence of, of the world right now, to use the language of Dr. Greg Thompson as he's shared with us so brilliantly over these several episodes, what we can recover, what are these practices. And today we're moving this conversation out beyond just the walls of the church, beyond just the practices in our own homes. But what does this look like to start to move out into industry? What does it mean for people of faith? to walk forward into the channel of culture where God's called them and, and to use their vocation to be a part of advancing the common good and to serve the common good and to serve our neighbors who may adamantly disagree with what we believe or what's even motivating our work but can't disagree with the experience they're going to have with the things we're crafting, the things we're creating, because it strikes a chord within their human heart about something way beyond what they've ever experienced. And as we've done throughout this series, we're going to listen to the conclusion of this Q talk that Dr. Greg Thompson delivered that really lays out these six practices. And then towards the conclusion, what does it mean for us to start to play this out? So join me in listening to Dr. Greg Thompson as he delivers the final portion of this Q talk. And I'll say again, if you haven't listened to the first several episodes, do that first and join us right back here because that will help you understand the foundations for this conversation leading up to this moment. So let's listen in now and then we'll be joined by Greg in the studio. last question is this, how should we labor? Now, this is a question about vocation, about what it means for human beings to labor faithfully in and for this world. And this too is a question that we have to answer both for ourselves and for our neighbors, for ourselves, because the purpose of a faithful Christian presence is not simply to live with our neighbors, but to labor for them. The whole purpose of vocation is that we are to bring goodness out of this earth and bless them with it to cultivate orchards and to create cities where our neighbors can flourish. But it isn't easy. And this is why we need to think about it for our neighbors, because even though we live in a culture that because of, of its roots in both Christian and Enlightenment history, places a massive emphasis on work, a massive emphasis on work, we are deeply confused about both the nature and the goal of human work. There's deep confusion in our current moment. And so because of this, one of the most important tasks in the Christian church is to reimagine vocation, to give itself again to, to asking, how do we labor? And in order to do that, to, to continue to mature in our own accounts of vocation, we are going to have to think about two aspects of how we labor with renewed maturity. The first of those is what I'm going to call the domains of vocation, the domains of vocation. 
These are the areas uh, that we work. Here's what I mean. Over the past several decades, a ton of work has been done in the Christian church about what you might call the individual domain of vocation. About helping Christians understand the way that their individual work in this world is a part of life with God. That's to say, the way God calls every human being to labor. Every man, woman, and child, he gives them gifts. And the call is to understand those individual gifts and then to exercise them in the world. And this renewed emphasis on the individual domain of the church has been an incredible benefit to so many of us in overcoming this deadening dualism between our life with God and our life in the world. And many of you have benefited from that. But we have to go further than this. Because in addition to the individual, we have to think about two other domains, and they are these. The first is what I'm going to call the institutional domain. The institutional domain. Most of us live and work in larger institutions. I don't just mean larger companies. I mean as a part of a larger system of institutions, whether they're economic institutions or political institutions or educational or artistic legal institutions. We work in the context of larger institutions. And whether these institutions are large or small, whether they're local or multinational, uh, they have incredible impact, both for the good and for the harm of our neighbors. And because of this, Christians have to develop a mature and robust theory of institutions. We have to press beyond the merely individual domain and to give an account of the the institutional domain, the horizon of our vocations and the meaning of of faithful work within institutions. And that that leads to the second domain, and it is the civic, the civic domain. This is because institutions, they don't work in a vacuum. They actually work in dense overlapping networks with one another. And these dense overlapping networks of institutions create the foundation of our, of our cities, of our communities. They create civic ecologies in which we and our neighbors live and move. And while one of the great developments in the Christian church in the past uh, 20 years has been a broad cultivation for uh, the love of cities, and many of you have benefited from that, it's not clear to me that we've yet cultivated an understanding of cities, how they work that we understand how cities actually work and therefore how we can work most effectively within them. And so because of this, we must renew our attention to all three of those domains, not just the individual, but also the institutional, beyond the institutional, to the civic and to the civic ecology with these institutions create. So those are the domains of vocation. And secondly, we're going to have to give renewed attention to what I want to call the direction of vocation, the direction of vocation. And what is the goal of Christian vocation? It is, of course, love. And for many, many years, people in the Christian church have understood that love, that, that our work is devoted toward the love of God, that work is, in fact, an act of Christian devotion, and that everything that we do is an expression of our love for God. This is, this is the direction of a vocation that's oriented towards God. But Christians also understand, have long understood That there's another direction to our vocation, and it is not just God. It is also to the neighbor. That we are supposed to work for them, for our brothers and our sisters, and our neighbors, and our enemies. That our vocations are to be directed in love towards all people. And this means that the direction of vocation is not just Christian devotion. It's also the common good. That when we work, we are laboring for the common good. And in this age, which is a pluralist age in which we and our neighbors live together, we have to continually explore what it means for Christians to work for the common good because we have not conceived of this maturely enough about what it means for Christian men and women and children to get up every day of their lives and go out and to do their work 
for the sake of their neighbors and their cities. And so in the midst of a culture with deep struggles over the meaning of vocation, the church has to recover a strong vision of vocation in which we labor in our individual and institutional and civic lives, both for the love of God and for the love of neighbor and of enemy. I said at the beginning that we have this responsibility of our time together and our time in the world for the church to reassess and to reimagine the faithfulness of its own presence in the world. And I said that we're being asked to do so in in an age in which our neighbors wander, in which they're no longer looking for us, in which we're no longer looking for them. And this responsibility to reimagine Christian faithfulness is therefore deeply burdensome. But it's also beautiful and it's ours. And how are we to do this? There are lots of ways, but it's by answering these six questions. The question of context. Where are we? We live in an age of inescapable contradiction. Secondly, the question of confession. What do we believe? We believe in the divine love manifested in Jesus Christ and expressed by the power of the spirit through the church to the whole world. Thirdly, question of identity. Who are we? We are creatures of glory, of shame, and of hope. We have to embrace this identity, both for ourselves and our neighbors. Fourth, the question of formation. How do we grow? We grow toward the purposes of love, and we do so through the practices of love lived out daily together. Fifth, how do we love? How do we love? We love by reestablishing households as schools of love and reprioritizing hospitality as the extension of love. And sixth, the question of vocation. How should we labor? We should carry out our vocations in our individual lives and in our institutional settings and in our civic spaces, both for the love of God and for the love of our neighbors. And what do you think will happen if we do this? What will happen if we do this? I don't exactly know. Because the whole point of this is that we are in a work of reimagining. These are the improvisations of love. And we will only know as we live them out together. But here's what I do know. You remember that woman? Wrapped in cloth and stepping out into the wind. And you remember the hundreds of thousands of of people who were like her. The men and women and children. Wandering in this world in search of their own lives. Do you remember them? I know that they live in your city. I know that they all live in your city and they, and every day they wrap themselves in whatever they have and they make their way through the pain of the manifold absences of this world. I know that. And I know that God loves them. I know that God loves all of them. He delights in their dignity. He, he weeps in their pain and he longs for their shelter. I know that. And I know that because God loves them, he has put you there. He's put you there in that city and not just you, but many others like you in the Christian church to be the faithful presence of love in the absences of this world. And because of this, I know that the work before us, this work of of reimagining Christian faithfulness in our time, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. And as we do these things, as we give ourselves to asking these questions and to answering them together, I know that our neighbors will begin to look for us. And I know that they will find us because we will be looking for them. And in finding us, what will they find? Not darkness, but light. 
Not restlessness, but rest. Not estrangement, but embrace. And no longer absence, but at last the very presence of love. Greg, welcome back. I'm, I'm excited to jump into this discussion about vocation, this, the sixth practice. I would say early in the Q history, this was one of the things right. we were really interested in emphasizing was right. that your vocation matters. If you're not a church leader and you've been called into some other space in society, that this is important. This is actually where God's mission is going to show up in the world. And you kind of conclude this talk emphasizing this last kind of outward expression. Why is this so important for the church to remember and to realize? I think for a couple of reasons. First is remember that vocation is at the heart of personhood. And so if we're talking about living in the world maturely as a person and maturely as a community, it, it eventuates in the kinds of work that we bring and do in the world, the kind of gifts that we bring to the world. So there's this movement towards maturation in which we come not just, um, remembering where we are, you know, what we believe, but it actually then moves out and has impact on the world. That's, that's one of the reasons it's really important. And I think it's all, it's also important because right now lots of people are thinking about this. There's a, there's a huge emphasis on faith and work that's happening in the Christian church. And, and lastly, because, because our world actually needs women and men who are laboring in this world for the good of one another. Yeah. It's been a good recovery of something that the church maybe wasn't emphasizing as much in recent decades where, Work is good. It's not just something that's part of the fall. And yet we realize that work is part of us experiencing agency, part of us taking responsibility for domains and, and having dominion. I even think of my son, Greg. This is a funny story about my son, Cade. He's 15 years old, uh, has special needs, has Down syndrome, and he just recently was able to start getting mentored in a job at a cafe. And so part of the job uh, that he's learning is everything from helping host and help people come sit at their table to then cleaning up tables uh, and dishes and bussing tables. And when my wife and I and our family and his grandparents all went out to eat, he was working that night. And you That's could right. tell work was something that this was kind of new to him, but he was really feeling proud. And, and he had bussed a table a few tables away. And as he's walking by with the dishes, he looks over at all of us and gives us this huge grin, this mm. huge smile, as if, awesome. as if to say, Aren't you proud of me? Look at right. me. I am so, I'm doing something. Yeah, it's a, it's a part of the way that we live fully into the world. Remember, as soon as human beings are made, they're giving this labor. They're given this labor to do. And that Jesus himself says, you know, I am working, even as the Father is working. I'm going to send you out to labor. There's, so there's work, working is in part a way of becoming ourselves. It's also a place of communion with God. And this is really important. Remember the earliest Christian writers on, the theology of vocation were not the Protestant reformers, but the, but the monasteries. This is where they, they were talking about work in the fields uh, as a place of intimacy with God. It's a place where we can commune with God and, and actually, ex, as strange as this sounds, it is holy, ex, extend God's own agency into the world through us. It's an amazing thing. One of the most beautiful things about work, as we said, is it's a place where we can express our own agency and, as you said, well, you know, create and cultivate uh, and that's that's something that that ennobles us and and brings us glory. One of the additional things about it is the way that we learn the boundaries of our capacity and our agency, and where we where we need other people, we need to partner with other human beings to make something good happen. We need to to labor alongside of our neighbors. And I think that 
Well, it's true that there are all kinds of mixed motivations that people of faith have and, and their neighbors have different motivations. And even, even Christians go into their vocational lives with very complicated motivations. They're not driven by the same things as, say, the Bible would call us to be. I think part of the joy of it is saying we are, we are laboring together for the sake of others. And this notion of collaboration with others for the common good is very powerful and beautiful. And Greg, we're kind of living through a period of, of time to where there's a lot of anti-institutional thinking, you know, where people see the institution as bad and anybody who has that much power, that much control in a society probably doesn't have the best motivations. But as you understand throughout history, institutions are critical to this idea of cultural renewal. I think we have to just be honest about the fact that for our work to endure and to have an enduring impact, it eventually has to take an institutional form. And, and a lot of us are working in institutions, whether we're working in banks or in the legal system or whether we're working in investment, you know, uh, investment firms or, or, what, or schools. We're laboring within these institutions. And remember, institutions are just habits, ritualized habits sustained over time. And I think part of what Christians have to do is continue to learn to think about their vocations, not just in terms of the individual horizon, but also in terms of the institutional horizon. How can this institution that I'm a part of, this institution that I'm serving, laboring in, how can that be a source for the common good? Because once you begin to think in that way, it has a multiplying effect for the well-being of others. Not perfectly, but when we labor within them towards love. Would you talk for a minute about just the difference between maybe vocation and occupation? The language of vocation is rooted in this language of vocare, which is calling, to be called by God. And we know that we're called to, to live as we are with our aptitudes and skills, our talents, for the sake of God and for our others. And that can take multiple occupational forms. And it can take different forms at different life stages. But the vocation to use who you are and to love is who you are for the glory of God and the good of your neighbors remains the same. And I think I think a lot of us that, that are in jobs that are not easy or we don't find them meaningful can think, oh, I don't really have a vocation. No, we do. It's just that sometimes our occupation expresses that more fully than at others, and we need to be honest about that and hopeful. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about how this starts to play out, though, more broadly in our cities, in our communities, beyond even just the workplace. But what does it look like civically? This is an area you've spent a lot of time studying, researching, trying to understand about how cities function. Our cities are the places where our life tends to play out the most. I'm interested in just what your insights are about what are the opportunities in our cities now to show forth love in a way that maybe people aren't experiencing in some municipalities. If you think about, as I talked about, the different domains of vocation, there's the individual domain, what you're doing in your own life and work and your life with God. Then there's this institutional domain, how you impact and affect the specific institution in which you live and work. But it's important to understand that those institutions are related to other institutions, and those take shape in cities. So the school is related to the hospital, which is related to the police department, which is related to you know, the insurance agency, all of these things in a different city. And Christians need to really think about that interrelationship. So what we sometimes call a, a, a human ecology of the city that, that is a network of all these institutions, just like, say, Yellowstone is an ecology. But this is the human one where all of these forces and, and institutions are coming together to form this home for us and for our neighbors. To think about cities is to think about institutions and networks of institutions. And if you want to, quote, bless your city, as a lot of Christians talk about doing, it is going to take an institutional form, and it's going to be worked out through your vocation. How important is it for the leader listening to this right now who maybe hasn't taken that first step to try to think about the ecology of their city? What are some of the practical steps a person can take to just 
take one step forward in that direction? Well, I think it's important to say, you know, I'm not the mayor. That's, that's, that, that's that mayor's vocation. It's not yours. But what we can do is, is come alongside and say, how can I help you with this? One of my, my own things that I've had to re- repent of and what I see in other people is this idea that because we have, quote, a vision for our city, that we therefore have somehow done the work to understand what our city needs. Because sometimes vision is just a euphemism for ambition. Uh, and, and I think that when we're talking about having a vision for a city, it needs to be rooted in concrete material institutional conditions to say, I, I want to see my neighbors thrive. And now I'm going to do the hard work of learning what that means. And there are places like mayor's offices, like city administrator's offices, like community foundations who actually have that data to say, here's what our city needs. And if we want to really work in our city, we don't have to come. We don't have to do all that data work. We don't have to come up with all the answers. We have to be humble enough to listen and know that maybe somebody else has a vision for the city that we can serve. And that's, I think, an incredibly thrilling thing. What are some of the challenges that we need to be aware of so that, you know, as we pursue out and trying to live this out in our vocation, we're not discouraged too easily um, because we should just count on encountering some challenges. I don't know about you, but the gap between what I hope I can do and what I actually can pull off is considerable. And so being realistic about those disappointments and not uh, over promising yourself or anybody else, I, I think so. It's, it's the challenge of your own limitations, the challenge of pluralism, which is to say the challenge of having neighbors who are very different than you are and maybe really not interested in your vision or may even see it as a threat. I think that we have to be realistic about the fact not everybody's going to love everything that we do or agree with it. A lot of this is about perseverance. It is it is less about genius and more about fortitude yeah. <laughs> and more about will and just persevering in the works of love over a long period of time. Uh, I think there's the challenge of failure. Uh, people need to learn to fail and to say, you know, I tried that. It really didn't work and be comfortable with that because if we can't do that, then what happens is we never take risks and, and seeking to love your city is a risky venture. So you have to have that kind of courage that can only come through, through failure. And then the last thing I would say is complexity. You were just talking about how you find it overwhelming to think about your city. Things are just massively complicated, economic systems, transit systems, the the re- refugee issues, immigration issues, the different language. I mean, all of the complex infrastructures that are involved. Most people are not going to be able to really understand all that kind of stuff. No one's going to be able to understand it all. And so I think the challenge for a lot of this is knowing that there's complexity and then the challenge of, of our own pride that thinks we should be able to do all of this and we want to build a brand out of being the person that figured it all out. That is just a massive challenge. If we could just see ourselves as we actually are, which is one person or one community in the midst of a larger community laboring toward the common good, we would be, I think, be a lot happier and probably a lot more, more effective. I think to add one more thing, one of the biggest challenges I see in the Christian community is that of false modesty. That sense that, well, we don't want to be too ambitious. We don't want to think too largely about what we can do or what we can accomplish. And so people don't, they don't take the risks. They don't enter into these difficult partnerships. They don't go learn about what is needed and then figure out how to do it. And I think one of my real hopes for the Christian community is that we could be in, in a very holy way 
this ambitious people that say, you know what, there are a lot of problems out there. There are a lot of innovations that need to be done. Let's go do those and just take the risk and see what happens. Greg, this was the sixth practice, you know, this idea of reimagining our vocation. Why is it ordered like this? Why, why wouldn't we put this first? I think as you go through them, you can see that they sort of build on one another. The first is you you have to know that you live in the world in time, and you have to understand something about that world and what it needs. Then you have to remember your confession. What is the disposition with which you approach the world? It's the love of God manifest through Christ. And then there's this question of, okay, how am I supposed to understand myself and the people with whom I interact on a day-to-day basis? Oh, yeah, I have to remember they're made in the image of God, and we're all subject to the shames of sin, but we can all be, all be renewed. This this is, a, this is a basic way that we approach the people with whom we, we work and for whom we labor. But in order to sustain that over time, you have to be formed. We have to have communities that are teaching us to think these things and to live these things out. Uh, and that, again, is sustained only in communities that we cultivate in our households and through hospitality. And as we become people formed by these communities, then it's only really then that we're enabled to go out and take up these vocations of love. Because if you just skip from, okay, I'm in a contradictory age and now here's my vocation, well, you're not going with the disposition of love and you may not be going with the kind of virtues that you need. And so what what I've come to see is that Christian faithfulness in our time requires attention to all of these things and it begins with indwelling the world as Jesus himself did when the word became flesh and it leads through all of these steps towards working in the world for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this series over these last seven episodes. I also hope you'll invite others to listen back to this. I think it's important for us to consider as the church, as Christians, how we're going to move forward in the days ahead. And there's so much here to continue to unpack, to discuss. Uh, And these six practices, embracing our context, recovering our confession, insisting on human dignity, cultivating virtue, extending hospitality, and reimagining our vocation, these are all ways the Christian community can play out love for our neighbors in a time when many aren't experiencing it. And so it's such an opportunity. And I hope you'll just continue this journey with us. If you want to watch the talk in, in its entirety through these different six parts, you can do so at qideas.org slash six practices. And finally, I just want to invite you to continue this journey with us week in and week out. We're trying to expose you to leaders, to talks, to stories in which this type of love is playing out in the world in every kind of realm you could imagine. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media.